Hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm I'm doing okay now that we're finally at the time to record the podcast because I'll tell you what, for the last two days, I've done nothing but read until my eyes bleed and I need a break and I'm so stoked to be talking to you. So I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. How are you? I am daunted. Maybe that's a good way to say it. Just have a lot going on at the church. Tons of facilities related stuff. We're getting new signage. We're getting uh, new exterior lighting. We're getting new cameras for the sanctuary. We're we recently had somebody literally run into the church, and so we have all this gas line work that has to be done. So, on top of half a dozen other things, so I'm doing all sorts of facilities-related stuff, but I feel like I'm juggling about as many things as I know how to juggle well. Dang, man, I know how that feels. I'm feeling yeah, the pressure of my own schedule. Hey, so I'm going to break our rhythm. We always like start in with the topic. But before we start in on the topic, I had this amazing moment in class today that I have to just like use immediately. So, okay. uh, So I have to know, though, does that mean we're moving thoughts or is this just an add on random piece of information? This is bonus. Everybody gets it for free. This is just extra content you didn't have to pay for. All right. So, so all of our non-existent subscribers are getting this for free. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody should be happy. So, <laughs> right. Tell me. Yeah. So this was in my spiritual formation class, and we ended on this question. And it was a canon within a canon. And by that, the professor meant there are certain passages of scripture that we all find ourselves being drawn to that are Mm. just unique nuggets that God gives us so that when we really need to reconnect with God or we, there's a variety of moments we might turn to these passages and they're unique to all of us, but what are they for each of us? And if we know, if we know what these passages are that particularly resonate with our souls, that we go back to time and time and time again, we can literally use them as these anchor points in our spiritual lives. And it was such a profitable moment to sit and think, what are these passages for me? And I'm actually wanting to just start off the episode with asking you without any lead in, what are your go-to passages and why do they speak to you? So maybe just one. And I know I'm just putting you on the spot. We can cut out as much dead air as we need as you think, but what is it for you? Man, that's good. I actually have a book, a journal that I write these passages in that I have one verse per page written in this journal. And it's not particularly full, uh, maybe only 20 or 30 pages of it are full. So just flipping through, one of the ones that I come back to all the time is Psalm 91, 1 and 2. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The sense of security that I feel being reminded of 
the love of God and the protection of God when I read that is almost unparalleled in my life. Mm. What about for you? Yeah, I had to think about it a long time because I don't Because you don't write it in a book. I don't write it in a book. But I'm also a very big picture type of thinker. And so every piece of scripture builds on the meta narrative and things that are valuable and insightful to me about God. So no one piece tends to stand out for me. So I really had to think about it long and hard. But then I realized it's the image that I come back to. And I may have even mentioned it on the podcast, but Psalm 1 5, excuse me, 1 3 talks about a tree being planted by the side of the river. The person who uh, plants themselves in God's word is like this person, like this tree that is planted by a river. And it's this image in my mind of a steady, well-matured tree that's sitting there just soaking up full of life. The wind rustles through its branches. It is stayed. It is steady. It is true. It is mature. It is healthy. All of these things that are evoked in me, it makes me long for all of those things to be true in my life. And and I'm reminded that the only way to get those things is to be grounded in scripture and grounded in my relationship with God. So it's that image that comes from Psalm 1-3 that is my go-to. So it was fun to realize that and to know that I can pull that out at at any given moment and use it intentionally. That's awesome. Can I throw one more out there because it'll make you laugh? (laughs) I would love to. So the one that I described a few moments ago was something that like is for my heart. But I have several in this book that are for my feet. They are the way that I want to live my life. And one of them is Proverbs 12, 16. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. (laughs) I just, every time I read that, I realize that I desperately want my life to be governed by that verse, but it also is a weird canon within a canon verse. But, but gosh, I mean, we could all use it to be in our canon. So let's not, I mean, this is not out of the left field here. Yeah, that's true. It's in the Bible for good reason, because we don't do it. Yes. Uh, Well, thanks for entertaining my little rabbit trail. It was just so recent. Like I literally just two hours got out of that class. So anyway, you had something else you were calling about. Yeah, I did. But I I still think that's a great thought. But the thing that I've been thinking about, and it, it is uniquely emphasized to me today, uh, I just got back from a retreat and a A retreat is a normal part of Christian thinking, right? Like, let's set aside special time for God and Mm, really, you know, go up the mountain or get, go deep or worship a lot or hear lots of teaching or whatever it is we're going to do. And I loved it. It was actually my first time going on a retreat that I got to take one of my kids and we had a great time and I just loved it. But it was so interesting to come from that to one of the podcasts that I listen to regularly. We've mentioned the Book of Common Prayer uh, numerous times on the podcast, but one of them starts the reading of the Book of Common Prayer 
with some version of this phrase every day. Today is the 26th week of ordinary time (laughs) or whatever. I am so caught by this idea today of ordinary as an important part of spiritual living. And so I wanted to talk about the idea of the ordinary and its role in our spiritual journey. Uh, How does that sound? uh, It sounds phenomenal, especially if we use the amazing work of Tish Harrison Warren. She wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And this is my springboard for understanding this concept. She just does such a masterful job of, one, describing the ordinary and being a very real human in this book, but then showing how God meets us in the ordinary. And that, to me, is huge. So I would I would love to talk about this. All right. So let's start there. So this is a book I have not read. You mentioned it uh, maybe a month ago. And it has gone on my to-read list. I have not gotten there yet. I do have to say it's going to be after reading Try Softer. That is my next Josh from Oregon recommendation that is going into my (laughs) reading list. Nice. But this is on your recommended list. I have not read it. So which place makes more sense to start? With a discussion of what does ordinary mean or with what? Tish Harrison Warren has to say about the ordinary. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll knock both out with uh, just an introduction to her book. Perfect. Her book just starts with just ordinary life. And she kind of proceeds, I think each chapter is based on what might be logically next in her day. And so the first chapter is literally waking up and then making the bed and brushing your teeth and losing your car keys and having a fight with your significant other, and being stuck in rush hour traffic, right? All of these things as your day might progress in in this way, or we've all at least had these experiences. And so she's literally down to the nitty gritty of ordinary. Nothing is more ordinary Mm -hmm. than brushing your teeth or having that blurry, half awake, half sleep state in the morning where you long to go back to sleep, but your alarm is yelling at you and all of these things. So, I mean, we're talking ordinary in a way that anybody can relate to. Is that where you start? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, for me, involves those activities and a certain set of descriptors or emotional ideas that I associate with those things. Words like boring and bland and routine or rote or something to the effect of normal, uh, (laughs) common. You know, common is a word that resonates with me quite a bit because I think as I've grown in my appreciation for the ordinary, which let's, let's be real, started at zero and I might be at a five now on a scale of a hundred. So I was going to ask what the scale was on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like I've, I've nudged up a bit and that may be an exaggeration. Warren's book did a much better job than that. But at any rate, one of the things that I struggle with most is as you say, common. And I felt like, you know, 
part of my story that I've shared on the podcast before. I felt called into ministry in my early teens. And I spent a whole lot of time through my early adulthood, all the way up until the present, asking God, okay, when am I going to get into full-time ministry? When am I going to stop doing this unimportant work, this ordinary work, going and doing a, a normal nine to five? I mean, not that nine one one is a normal nine to five, but at any rate, not doing the important stuff, the spiritual stuff. When are we going to get to that? And I think God has been trying to challenge me, and I'm only slowly listening. Hang on, I'm meeting you in these. Like these are just as much part of my world as, you know, the quote unquote spiritual stuff, which is something that struck me also about your reflections on being an associate pastor and a lot of the quote unquote non spiritual things that end up on your task list. You know, the ordinary is everywhere, you can't escape it. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I had not been thinking about this, but yes. I mean, one of the big frustrations a lot of people deal with when they go into ministry, and I was having this conversation with uh, one of the guys who works with me today. You know, we were going out for lunch because we didn't have time to meet this week, and we needed to meet. But what we needed to meet about was the fact that we have a fleet of vehicles, and we want to make sure they are all legally on the road. That was mm. the important content of the meeting, which is wildly <laughs> important. But I laughed as we were sitting down at Panera to have this conversation because I said to him, you know, the thing nobody knows about ministry until they actually do it is how much admin is involved in ministry. I mm. spend so much time. I mean, like like I listed off and I only listed half the things I had to do that were admin related today. Almost my whole day was admin related. And it can feel like, is this the spiritual stuff or not? When do I guess what I'm trying to say is I can feel the exact same way as a pastor that you say you feel not as a pastor. When am I going to get to the spiritual stuff? And yeah. I think putting those two together speaks to the fact that there is an underlying issue of dissatisfaction more than there is an underlying issue of circumstance that is the problem. Uh, that's such a good way to phrase it. And I think you're totally right. At least you've pegged me. Yeah, guilty as charged. So thanks for the arrow. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, I meant to shoot it at myself, not at you. Because um, <laughs> theoretically, I'm in the spiritual stuff and still dissatisfied. Yes. But... Yeah. You you asked me if that's the kind of thing I meant and it it totally is, but so what does she say about what to do with the ordinary? Yeah, I think that would mislead in terms of what she's doing with her book. Instead, she is describing how we can find God in the ordinary. And it's less prescriptive than it is descriptive. And showing how literally there is a liturgy in how we live our lives. So it's interesting. She, she did this whole poll about whether or not people brush their teeth or sorry, uh, whether or not people make their bed. And some people make their bed in the morning religiously. Some people do it like a couple of days a week. Some people make their bed right before getting into it at night, which to me feels like eating Oreos after you brush your teeth, but. So, and some people never make their bed. 
Some people think like it's tantamount to going to hell if you don't make your bed. Like it's it's fascinating the spectrum that she experienced in making the Can bed. Can I just say about making the bed, just a shout out to how often awesome my wife is. I don't know that my wife cares if the bed is ever made, but it bothers me when it is not made. But 80% of the time she gets up second. And she is awesome about making the bed. The, that 80% of the time. But can I just say the 20% of the time I get up second, I often forget because it's unusual to make the bed. And almost every one of those times she makes the bed and it rocks my world. I'm thinking about this because I'm in my bedroom right now looking at my made bed, knowing that I got up second and that I would have been annoyed about the bed being not made. Not like annoyed with her, <laughs> just I would have been like, oh, I hate when the bed's not made. It just whatever. And uh, yeah, 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 she's just awesome. Is my that's whole point. awesome. That's so great. Yes, I love it. It's when... the little things. It really is, and that stuff communicates love and care way more than many other things. So, yeah. but um, anyway, you were saying cool. about making the bed. Yeah. So whether you make the bed or you don't make the bed, right? This is all part of your liturgy. This is part of the way that you live your life it forms you and shapes you in some way. So she's connecting these ordinary parts of our lives to the actual liturgy. She is uh, an Anglican priest, and so she's very connected with the liturgy as it is practiced week in and week out. And so she's showing how the relationship between the liturgy of our lives and the liturgy, the sacred liturgy that we celebrate on Sundays and how they're not altogether different, and how we are being shaped by the things that we do all the time. To capture the ordinariness of life, she talked about when brushing your teeth, she was reflecting on how much care our bodies actually require. And she listed it out. And when you list it out, it's like, oh my gosh, can we ever do anything but care for our bodies? Right? They need sleep. They need cleaning. They need nourishment. They need fluids. They need, uh, we need to dispose of the waste. We need to groom them. We need to exercise them. We need to rest them. Like our bodies require a whole lot of upkeep and maintenance. We spend a lot of our day tending to our bodies because we are embodied creatures. This is part of our humanity. This is part of where God meets us. And so she just explores all of these ordinary things and shows how God meets us there. If that's if we're talking about kind of the normal stuff we do every day, brush your teeth, make your bed, drive to work, let me ask you, how much do you really connect with God in the midst of those kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, I got to say not very much at all, um, although I try to build in routines that bring me back to God. So I am often listening to a book while I'm, you know, in the shower or sometimes I'm listening to worship music. Same in the car, I'm listening to a book or I'm, uh, you know, listening to worship music or something. Or I'm praying, I go through the Pray As You Go app that also begins with, you know, today is the such and such week of ordinary time or the such and such week of Advent or Lent or whatever season we happen to be in. So I have some of those rhythms built in, but where those rhythms are absent, I am not connecting with God in my in the ordinary. And 
I don't know how I feel about that because I think the spiritual answer, right, is, oh, well, then you have work to do and you need to be – maybe. Um, but I don't want to get too much into the should um, mm. and just realize, like, God created the ordinary. He created all these mundane tasks that we have to do, you know, in terms of eating, sleeping, drinking, you know, grooming our bodies and all of these things. It's not as though he created us to just live on this mountain and worship him 24 hours a day. I mean, that we would be angels or we would have some other like composition to our life. I just don't know to what extent I should seek for a hundred percent. If does that make sense? Is that like, do I get to go to hell now? Yes, but not for that. Um, <laughs> but. No, I I wholeheartedly agree. So often when I was in college, and I've heard it trickle through, but when we were in college, one of the major things that Christians were trying to advocate for was that there was no divide between the sacred and the secular, right? Yeah. It's all sacred. And... At least the way I internalized that was this sort of sense of pressure. Man, I got to encounter Jesus in all of these moments. And that's fine, but I do think puts a lot of pressure. And when I am more and more thinking about this, I find myself thinking about it almost in the inverse. I don't need to do anything to spiritualize it because I don't need to accomplish anything. It just is what it is and it is adequate as itself. The best way I can describe the thought is that for most of my life, I envisioned myself, if I can compare my life to a, a play or a movie, I envisioned myself in the role of the hero in which big things were happening and I had a big part to play. And so mm. every moment of a movie, something important is happening. Every moment of a, of a play, something significant to the plot is happening. But if I'm not the main character in the play, if Jesus is the main character in the play, and I am legitimately okay with being a bit character in his story... You know, my my son has done a lot of theater lately since he's gotten into college. Uh, excuse me. Wow. Your son got into college. <laughs> my son got into high school uh, last year, and uh, he has done a lot of theater in high school. And one of the things that I'm impressed by is how it adds richness to a play when there are background characters you're not actually looking at, but they are sort of foe having a conversation or fake doing something. They're not just all gathered around staring at the action. Right. They're doing their own thing. And it adds richness and depth to the performance, even though the whole point is that they're doing something you never look at. You just catch it out of the corner of your eye. I yes. more and more find myself wanting to embrace being a side or bit character in the great story, which means I can just go about my life and brush my teeth without the weight of having to be the hero. And so the thing I'm doing is brushing my teeth 
and that's okay. There's nothing more to it. I don't need to figure out anything about it. I just am the guy who's brushing my teeth. <laughs> yeah, I am very drawn to that. And there's a there's a perspective shift that I need to make with that as well in terms of not being the main character in my story. I am a bit character in God's story. That's a huge shift, and I think it's an important one. So long as it is not used to justify some level of, I don't need to participate, I don't need to be involved here, I don't need to try hard, my role isn't that important, you know, that's sort of like giving up, I don't have a lot to do here, so uh, I don't need to try. Yeah, absolutely. For I think for people like you and I, who are almost pathological triers, <laughs> It is a good corrective for someone who might find themselves to be in the opposite camp of maybe needing to develop the skill set of trying a little bit harder. Maybe this would be the wrong thing to think about. Sure. Is that what you're saying? It is. It is. And I I appreciate the way you said that because we all find ourselves at a different part in our spiritual walk. And so we need to grow towards something. And what I need to grow toward might be something else uh, that somebody needs to grow in a different direction from. So, yeah. You know, one of the things you were talking about with the ordinary and how there was this culture when we were in college of every day is sacred and there's no divide between the, the sacred and the secular. On some level, I agree with that. God is involved in every aspect of our lives. So I get that. But at the same time, if every moment, every day is quote-unquote special, maybe we just use a non-spiritual word for a second, if every day is special, then what is the definition of special? Special all of a sudden becomes ordinary, because that's just what we experience every single day. So in order to even have the special, you have to have the ordinary. They benefit one another. You can't have a mountaintop experience if you live on a mountaintop then that you just have the ordinary. That's just where you live. So Absolutely. My wife feels this way about highlighting. One of her huge pet peeves is when somebody highlights every sentence in the book. <laughs> yes. And it's because her basic assessment of it is exactly what you just said. Why bother? You just, there's nothing is now highlighted. You just changed the color of the page. Yes, I've seen a lot of people's Bibles this way, where they've underlined pretty much everything. And I'm like, well, could you have just left the underlining out? <laughs> uh, no, I. the thing that I think is interesting about this is that the it's all secular almost feels to me, and I know I'm going into, I am a fantasy reader, and I just can't help it. But to say it's all sacred sounds like to me we live in the world with fairies. And if we would just open our eyes to see all the fairies, we would realize that the whole world is wonderful. Or we live in we live in the wizarding world that Harry Potter lives in. And if we would just look carefully enough, we would see beyond what muggles see and see the other world. Yes, yes. This is exactly right. Because here's what like rubs me wrong about that. That's just not the world we live in. That's just not 
reality. That is, as you say, a fantasy. That's a fantasy book. It's a fantasy idea. I need a God that meets me in real life with morning breath and stinky feet and a need for showers and a need for tacos. Like, I need a God that meets me in real life, not one that tells me to wake up to some alternate reality somewhere. Like, I under, I also understand there's a way in which God shows me the breadth of what is real that I may not have clued in on on my own. So there's an element of truth there, but there's also this need for a real God for real people in real life. And I don't think the gospel can be called good news unless it meets real people where they are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there is an element of an invitation to see the wonder in the universe that I appreciate. And I am one who is drawn to wonder, and I could read certain Gerard Manley Hopkins poems a million times because I love Hmm. the wonder that they inspire in me. Mm -hmm. But I think if I am going to connect more... Nope, that's the wrong... Maybe that's even the wrong language. I think I just need to relax and brush my teeth. (laughs) I keep coming back to brushing my teeth because it's such a good example. Like, do I need to try harder and encounter Jesus when I'm brushing my teeth? Mm. No. That's the rub. Now, and I don't mean this contra somebody else, by the way. I am just noting what I need. What I do love to do, you talked about uh, using the app that you use when you drive, certain ways that you have built faith into your daily living. Yeah. That kind of draw ordinary moments for you towards Jesus. And that feels different to me. One example of that is when I mow the lawn, it takes me about three hours to mow my lawn. And it is three hours of largely uninterrupted time when I can listen to a fairly intense Christian book that is too complicated for me to listen to at any other time because I won't be able to follow it in 10-minute chunks when I'm driving from here to there. And I have come to see significant spiritual value in letting that time be infused by that content And I find it exciting and enjoyable and encouraging and all of those kinds of, and really re-energizing. The closest analogy I can come up with is when my daughter puts her hair up in a ponytail or braids her hair, she might braid a ribbon into it. And the one ribbon highlights all the other stuff. Mm. And I feel like when I'm, doing something like that in the ordinary moments, fully feeling like it is by choice, even if it is by habit. There is something simple and thoughtless in the best possible way about that. Yeah, I man, your vision of braiding in that little ribbon into a braid and how it changes the whole composition is exactly right. That's why we make these little we carve out these little moments within the ordinary in order to be shaped by God. Because the reality is we're being shaped by something. 
We're being shaped by our culture. We're being shaped by our phones. We're being shaped by our the media that we consume. We're being shaped by the friends and the family that we interact with. We're being shaped by the careers that we're in. We're being shaped all the time in our lives. We are becoming the sum total of all of these experiences. And so if I want to be shaped by the gospel, I have to carve out time in order for the gospel to work on my heart and my soul. I need to make sure that this is a part of what is shaping me each day. And that one little ribbon that I add to each moment of my day starts intertwining with the rest of the braid to infuse into my life and give it a brand new character. So it's not that the gospel is every moment of my day, but it changes the composition by including it in my day and making it an intentional formation experience. Hmm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is everything two 40-year-old men know about braiding hair. (laughs) No, I know one other thing. I stink at it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, We were in a restaurant uh, about a week ago, and the waitress had some funky thing done with her hair. And I leaned over to my daughter. I was like, how on earth do you do that? And she's like, oh, it's really simple, Dad. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think you're right. I think there is a delightful interplay between the ordinary and the sacred when they're woven together like that in the the fabric of our routines. Yes, Absolutely. So I want to turn it out to the audience and invite you all to comment on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know how you blend this sacred and the ordinary, how you find different routines help shape your gospel formation, and talk about what does it mean to live an ordinary life and let the gospel meet you where you are. And if this episode or any other episode that you've listened to sparks something and you think it would be great to have a conversation with somebody or share it with somebody, please absolutely share this episode, share our podcast. We would love to enable you to have other conversations like this with other people. Yes, we would. And we would love to hear about those conversations in any way that you're interested in sharing them because we are excited to see the conversation spread. But uh, switching off of that one big thought, you already shared a thought. So do I have to give you a second thought? Do you have a second thought? I do have a second thought. I actually have a second, third, fourth, and fifth thought because I'm in school right now and all I do is think. (laughs) But I also recognize we're running a little bit low on time. So I will count the earlier part as my thought. Oh, now you're making me sound like a jerk, like I'm browbeating you. Share a thought or I sound like an idiot. No, you are a jerk and everybody (laughs) needs to know that. Uh, (laughs) uh, Okay, all right. I will. My thought is kind of heavy. I do, but it's kind of a, a heavy theological thought. So it's about the immutability of God. So now that you know the the topic, it's kind of like Final Jeopardy. Like, wh- how much you want to wager that we keep going with this thought? Is it the wrong game show if I say one dollar, Bob? <laughs> All right, I will save that for next week because uh, it'll take me a little while to expound oh, on that. But that is no, not I, what I meant. I know it isn't. But seriously, uh, I will talk about the immutability of God next week. Oh man, I'm actually looking forward to hearing it. 
I thoroughly enjoy the low stress approach of going to seminary vicariously. I love this. <laughs> Thank you for doing all the digestional work for me. And I just get to enjoy the, uh, the low hanging fruit there. Yes, exactly. So your thoughts. Mine is uh, fairly simple, but uh, the lead pastor at my church mentioned that sometimes we get stuck on Jesus' words about fasting, that it's supposed to be a private experience without remembering the broader biblical story about the fact that there are hosts of moments that are corporate times of fasting when keeping it secret isn't of the same level of importance because everybody around you is doing the same thing. Mm. There are a number of times in the Old Testament that it is a corporate time of fasting. So you don't have to hide it because everybody's doing it. Uh, <laughs> and I just, as simple as that is, I was like, oh yeah, that is a truth that is not well incorporated into my thinking on fasting that I need to think about. And I need to think more about what it means to fast corporately, because that is true. That is an Old Testament approach to fasting that is not infrequent. And uh, I just want to think about that more. So that's my thought. Ah, that's good. It makes me think of during my spiritual formation class, one of the spiritual formation exercises we've been doing for this month has been to read at least once a week, the entire Sermon on the Mount in one sitting. And mm. I'm struck by the fact that there are different approaches in Matthew 5 than in Matthew 6 over whether or not people can see your good deeds. In Matthew 5, it says, you are a city on the hill. And let your good deeds be seen by men so that they can glorify your Father who is in heaven. But then in Matthew 6, it says, yeah, don't do your good deeds in front of everybody else in order to get praised. And like, you shouldn't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So there is this element of secrecy in this. And I think we kind of tune into that and we forget about this city on a hill idea. And so it's been playing out in my mind. Like when are we supposed to be seen doing good things and when are we supposed to be doing them in private exactly? So I'm wrestling with that same idea. It is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. So I've got no answers, but again, if you want to comment on Facebook and let us know what you think, we would love to hear. Absolutely. Yes. Solve our dilemma. Yes, please. Okay, well, that brings us to the Witch Josh question, and this one is particularly great. Witch Josh dresses exactly the same every day. And that is me, 100% me. I am very proud of it. I wear a black shirt and jeans and the exact same shoes every single day. I have six or five shirts that are all the same. I have... I am all identical jeans and all identical socks. I literally just dress exactly the same every single day. That is, you've like put thought and effort into this. Do you ever I, get weird looks at the store when you buy five of the same shirt? Um, so all of it is now online because I picked the shirt 
so I have button down ones for winter and t-shirts for summer. And the button down ones were from a store that they don't have where I am now. And so I've ordered them online and the t-shirts, man, I switched over to a brand of t-shirt called true classics. And I cannot tell you how much more comfortable they are, but they are also an online brand. And so it is night and day. They are so much better. Nice. Good tip. Yeah. So True Classics, if you ever listen to this, you have also won the privilege of sponsoring a future episode. (laughs) Yeah. You'll be our very first sponsor, making us our very first dollar. Yeah. So thank you for that. All right. Well, this has been super great, but now it's time to get back to our ordinary lives, maybe eat some dinner or something like that. Yes. Are we on for next week? Absolutely. I can't wait. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, bye.